0: Hello, and welcome to another virtual author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore. I am John Charles, and today the Poison Pen is delighted to welcome debut author Mary Liza Hartong, whose new book, Love and Hot Chicken, will soon be on the shelves in bookstores and libraries near you. Before we begin, I would like to let those tuning in know The Poison Pen does have copies of Love and Hot Chicken on order, and we would be happy to hold one for you or put one in the mail. Just give us a call or go online to The Poison Pen Bookstore, Now, I would like to welcome Mary Liza.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I always love finding a new author, and especially a new author who's just starting out on their literary career, and I just completely fell in love with your book, Love and Hot Chicken. But there's always a story about an author before they became published, and as a reader, I'm fascinated because sometimes that gives us clues as to where they're going. So, what can you tell us about your life prior to the publication of Love and Hot Chicken?
1: Well, I do feel like my upbringing definitely led to the to the book. Um, I was born and raised in Nashville, and my um, I, I grew up in the house that my mom grew up in, and my grandmother grew up in, and that. My great grandparents bought, and so I have a real, you know, connection to the area. And yeah, I think I I had a very kind of idyllic childhood that was kind of similar to my mom's in that we would, you know, walk down the street and play in the creek. Um, I have two sisters, and there are tons of kids in the neighborhood, Um, and we just we spent a ton of time outside. Um, And then I um, I attended an all girls school here, Harpeth Hall. And I went to Dartmouth College, uh, stayed there for grad school as well. Then I went to Ireland to do a Fulbright and then I moved to New Orleans and then I moved back home. So I feel like I like to say I've lived in every climate except for maybe the desert. (laughs) Um, but I sort of had a, a, you know, roundabout journey to get home. Um, but it's been great being back.
0: That's wonderful. Um, Love and Hot Chicken is your first novel, but you were writing before that. You've done poetry, I believe, and short stories and other kinds of things. What is it about writing that you decided early on, did you know I want to be a writer or did it just kind of gradually creep in to your life?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I think starting off, my parents are both great storytellers. My mom has got, she's from Nashville and she's got that totally Southern vernacular and drawl and you know, love to tell stories, and my parents always read to us a lot as children. I was definitely the kid who knew she wanted to be a writer very early on. Um, I can remember one day at the swimming pool, there must have been lightning or something, and so we had to get all out of the pool, and I went and sat down at a little wrought iron table and wrote my first book when I was six, and it was called The Dogs Who Spy. Um, I wish I still had, I don't know where it is. Um, But yeah, from there, I just was always writing as a kid and I had a lot of really good teachers who helped me to like, you know, submit my work to magazines and um, go to, you know, little writer conferences for middle schoolers. And, um, you know, I just kind of kept plugging away at it and, um, you know, trying to publish stuff and journals and magazines and um, just kind of hoping to get a little snowball effect going from there.
0: What means you decide, okay, now is the time for me to write a novel? And what was it like getting the book into publication? Was it an overnight success? Was it a long day's journey into night? What can you tell us?
1: Well, I started writing it like right before COVID hit.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And um, it kind of started out because I was working in an office, and there were three of us. And I, was, I think it's hard to be three people in any situation. There's always tension, you know. And I was frustrated. And so I thought, Oh, you know what? I'm going to write about a workplace with three people and I'm just going to try to write a thousand words on it every week. And, um, you know, and then lockdown happened and I had more time to work on it and kind of, um, and so then I, I wrote the first draft from about February, 2020 to October, 2020. Um, and then I kind of kept, building it from there. In about December, I tried it, December 2020, I started looking for an agent. Um, And I applied for probably like 77 agents, you know, um, and 10 of them wanted to read it. Uh, Three of them had some interest and eventually I picked um, the one. Um, And then it took her about a little over a year to sell it. So it just felt like a lot of different chunks of time it's wild that it's coming out next month because it's been such a long um process and each step of the way i'm glad i didn't know how long it would take (laughs) if i had known i would have got would have been like what (laughs) it's not going to come out till 2024 um but yeah i think that just the biggest thing that kind of like lit the way for me was you know, After rejections or after setbacks of just saying, I really believe that this book matters and I really think it's funny and I think it's going to mean something to people. And I think as an author, you just have to sew at the center of everything, believe in yourself and believe that your book is worth it.
0: Those are uh, valuable words to give to aspiring writers. What can you tell us about love and hot chicken? And for those that don't know what hot chicken is, can you kind of give a bit of description of that too?
1: Of the book or of the the hot hot chicken itself?
0: Tell tell us about the book. And if you've never heard of hot chicken, because I'll be honest, I thought, is that the same thing as fried chicken? I wasn't exactly sure, Um, kind of blew us into that too.
1: It is a, it's kind of a, It's. it started in Nashville. I believe um, the Prince family was kind of the originator of the hot chicken recipe. Um, and it's just really spicy. It yeah. kind of takes all of those, um, Southern spices and just kicks them up a huge notch. Um, it's got kind of like an orangey red glow to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I just, it's it's so, it's such a cultural touch point in Nashville. People, at every menu you've got Nashville-style hot chicken, hot chicken, hot chicken, hot chicken. Um, and I originally, the book was called just Hot Chicken because I thought it was kind of a fun, um, you know, double entendre, like hot as in the, there's a beauty pageant in it and mm-hmm. chicken kind of representing how the main character is sort of afraid to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, But um, it was later changed to Love and Hot Chicken to kind of give readers a little bit more Mm -hmm. of a window into what the book was about.
0: And tell us a little bit about your protagonist.
1: Um, So PJ, um, our our very fun protagonist, she is, um, she starts off the book, she's doing her PhD at Vanderbilt for history. Um, And, you know, she's very confident and she's gay and she has a thriving social life in Nashville. Um, but when her daddy dies, she goes back to her small town in West Tennessee, um, and she kind of loses a little bit of her pluck. She She's worried about her mom, and um, she, she decides to stick around and work at this hot chicken shack, kind of under the guise of comforting her mom. But um, she had such a close relationship with her dad. She kind of doesn't know how to go back and go on without him there. Um, so I would say she is, you know irreverent. She's got a sailor's mouth, um, but she's very earnest and, you know, just uh, has a lot of heart.
0: I think that's true. Um, I also think one of the things that she really do beautifully is setting. It's in the South, and um, what is it about, I mean, there's books that all over the world, all over the U.S., but for some reason the south seems to be such a magnet for so many writers what is it about the south that makes you want to write
1: my mom always says that the worst thing that happened to southern writing was the invention of air conditioning (laughs) Um, she's like you know before air conditioning people had to really sit out on their porches and Mm. write um i just think it's such a rich um landscape like you know I always think about this with country music and people love to make fun of country music but country music covers everything it's not afraid to be silly it's it's sad it's silly. you know it kind of just is unembarrassed to cover a whole variety of topics and I kind of wanted to write about the really specific and kind of rednecky you know quote-unquote tacky the just like you know like i write a lot about food i write about like, little debbie zebra cakes um or bunny bread um and i think that these i i just think that there's such a there's a humor to to a southern setting um where it's 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 always. but but the characters are in on their own joke you know like they you know if people make fun of country music if people make fun of small towns or you know hillbillies or whatever Southerners are really in on that joke. Um, and I thought, this is a great you know place to set this. I wanted it to be funny. I'm like, let's just put it in a, a really specific little small town that's just having fun with it.
0: I think you do um, really well with that. And you're also right, your characters embrace who they are. They're not embarrassed by um, what they do, who they're with, um, what their town is like. Whereas some people would be a little bit more self-conscious or worry about what others are going to think. I remember at one point in the book you talk about um PJ getting her outfit for the competition from Rebus by Dillards or something like that. And I'm thinking, is that really an actual thing? But it sounds like it could be.
1: It is. Reba. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And yeah. it's what you would expect. It's like the patterns, the, you know, uh, it's, that's a real thing some of the stuff in the book oh, that that poor copy editor tried to ask me you know had to ask me about all these different things like okay reba for dillard's is that a brand name And I'm, yes mm-hmm. and then they would say you know what about henry hansel's toupees i'm like that was made up <laughs> um, you know having to go line by line of these you know real and fake businesses um,
0: you mentioned country music which i think is a good analogy and if I remember correctly, you learned something about using lyrics in a book when you were writing, blah, oh, <laughs> blah,
1: Oh, I wish this was like the most heartbreaking realization um, that you can't just use lyrics willy nilly uh, because I really wanted to put the lyrics to Patsy Cline's crazy um, at one point in the book and the lines were just so perfect for what I wanted to say and I was gonna have the characters kind of sing them to each other. And uh, my editor's like, you know, if we want to use those lyrics, you're going to have to chase down the copyright and see who owns it and, um, you know, if we can have permission to put it in the book. And the same happened. I wanted to put an epigraph uh, from Islands in the Stream. She said, you, you need to figure out who owns that. And it just felt like a lot of work. <laughs> I like, fine, fine, I'll take them out. But in my, in my heart, they're still there. Um, but that's something that I would have just never known. Because you see that so often in books. I mean, there's books that have a quote from a, something famous at every chapter. Yeah. And they just might be more tenacious about research than I am. Um, or they have I'd a larger legal
0: department behind them or something.
1: No. Um, you know, I like to think that um, Patsy Klein's estate will get a boost from, hopefully people will read this book who maybe don't know about her and say, oh, I should really check out Patsy Klein." um but you
0: know your book is humorous and heartfelt but it also deals with some serious topics in a very graceful way in a very deep way um i've been reading the book and writing down page numbers and things like that but one of the things that you'd written really to me um seemed quite profound and i'll quote just a little bit it's from the book um This is PJ talking. When I was little, daddy and I would go out in the snow together. I always wanted to wear gloves, but he told me to wear mittens. He said that when your fingers are apart, there's more space for the cold to touch. When somebody dies, it's like you find all the places on your body the cold can touch places you didn't even know existed. Uh, Wow, that's really wise, I guess is the best word to put it. But you write a lot about grief and how it's not something that. You can get over in a week or a day or a month. It's different for everybody. It's, I think in some cases it's true. It comes in waves. Why did you really want to explore grief and how it can affect someone?
1: You know, and the, the strange thing is, is that I've been really lucky to not lose anybody deeply close to me in my life. Um, and so in some ways, I feel like someday when I do, I'm going to read my own book mm-hmm. and find comfort in it. But I think at the time when I was writing this book, I was thinking about grieving the different phases of life. Um, it was during COVID. And I think a lot of us were kind of thinking about what what do I, when this is all over, what do I want my new life to look like? Or what am I letting go of? And I was kind of reaching a period where I was realizing that I wanted to move home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I did have to let go of a lot of things in my old life in order to come home. You know, um, I was, you know, leaving a city and leaving a relationship. And I remember I could walk to my po- my um, local library and I had the most amazing deck and this palm tree. And uh, I was living in New Orleans um, and I could walk to this library and I had this little cheesesteak place. And I, as I was kind of making the decision that I knew I wanted to leave, I'm like, oh, I'm really sad to lose this palm tree and I'm sad to lose this library, but I, I just had to think, I know there will be another library. I know there's, I know there's a, a different life for me awaiting. um So I think that I was maybe moving through the grief of leaving that part of my life behind and starting the next chapter. Um, but yeah, it's strange to me now in a way that I, this book is so much about grief because I have been fortunate to not have to do it in the way that PJ has to do it. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Hmm. That's um, really interesting because I think you're right. It's, it is about grief, but you can also say it's about loss and loss doesn't have to necessarily be a person. It can be sometimes a thing or a career or something else and how you deal with that. But it really, it's, um, you're quite young, but you're quite wise, which is remarkable for your um, the book itself. Let's talk a little bit about your writing process because you've written all different kinds of things. How do you know when you start a project, this is going to be an essay, this is going to be a journal article, this is going to be a book um, or poetry? And do you write, does the process, I mean, I would think if you're writing poetry, it's, it's a little bit different, but maybe not.
1: I guess the primary one is I write a lot of um, of nonfiction essays, kind of memoir type stuff. Okay. And then I write my, you know, fiction. Um, anything that has to do with my family usually goes in the nonfiction pot. Like mm-hmm. the nonfiction stuff that I write, it's really, it's short form. I would say my sweet spot is, you know, 800 to 1,000 words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a publication here that I write for a lot called The Nashville Scene. Um, and I know I'm like, that's my... If I'm feeling something short form, if I'm feeling something that's usually about my family, um, that's usually a nonfiction. But I did have an experience recently. I ended up writing a fiction and a nonfiction piece about the same topic. It was about um, one summer I was gerbil sitting for my neighbors and I immediately um, lost the gerbils and they multiplied all summer and there were just dozens of gerbils in their house when they got back um and so I wrote I started off and I wrote a fiction piece about it because I wanted to expand it I was like I don't want to feel like I'm making anything up I want to really run wild with this because this is such a fun topic mm-hmm. then I had a chance to I was a magazine asked me to write a piece about anim- animals a nonfiction piece I'm like you know what I will go back to the gerbils and this time I'm going to really like stick to the facts and think you know, I'll like narrow it down. And it was only a 500 word article. So, with the narrowness, I was able to kind of get at it in a different way. But yeah, sometimes it just kind of, I feel like, how much do I want to play with a topic? And if I want to play with it on a larger scale, that feels like fiction. And if I want to do something really tight, then that's nonfiction.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Um, you have, if I remember correctly, taken academic classes in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a background in that. I'm not a professional writer, so you feel feel free to correct me, but my thought is some things can be taught, other things can't. I think writers have a voice, and that's something that's unique to them. That's not something, maybe it can be refined or honed or things like that, but you can't teach someone their voice. What can you get from the academic side of learning to write? What what does that help you with, I guess, would be my question.
1: I think definitely it's even just reading or being in a workshop, you get more ideas of how, like how things could work. Like when I read a really good book, you want to come away like, Oh, okay. They did that. I've never thought of doing that. Even just the way of phrase, a way of phrasing something or like what they get away with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think and being in academic settings gave me just a ton of time to practice. Like I think an edge that I had was because I started writing so early, I got my worst writing out of the way mm-hmm. earlier than a lot of people. Like if my worst writing was happening in fifth and sixth grade, people starting later, their worst writing writing might was maybe might be that their worst writing could have been happening at 25. So I'm like, I just have a little bit of a head start and a practice more because I just started so early. Um, but yeah, I think being in those, co- it's helpful to be around really bad writers, um, because then, or, you know, in a workshop and, you know, I, you never want to be unkind. I was always, I'm always, some mm-hmm. I'm a softy. I'm going to be the person being like, love that one sentence was so great. Um, but I think you can learn a little, a bit from bad writers as much as you can from good writers. Cause you, you kind of see what's not working. Like, okay. Oh I think the biggest thing I see in, in in I and I do a lot of tutoring of kids is um just long long sentences. I think a lot of writers are really afraid to do a short sentence. Mm. And I think even just seeing a short sentence in a good piece of work is a reminder to me like oh right. Ugh, a punchy little sentence goes a long way.
0: It's mm. um, interesting. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring writers? Because you've mentioned you've learned that the publishing process can be slow and go in fits and starts. What else have you discovered now that your book's about to be published that you wish someone had told you when you first started out?
1: I think just the importance of your pitch. um, And, um, you know, you, you write this whole, well, first of all, I would say, you kind of do need to go ahead and write the book. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part where people tell me all the time, oh, I wanna write a book and I'm like, I hate to tell you, but you do have to do it. Um, and then if you don't know what it's about, to give it to a friend and that person will be able to pull out, oh, it's about this. Sometimes you're so close to it, you can't see. Like when I went back in to do edits, Um, my editor or my agent said, this book is a lot about PJ's relationship with her mom and the conflict there. And Mm -hmm. I had not realized that. I was like, right, I guess it is. I guess that's kind of a thing. And she's like, do more of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that having, having somebody else who can kind of see your book and see what it's about and being able to see for yourself, kind of pulling it together, because people are going to ask you what your book is about to explain it in one sentence so many times.
0: Yeah.
1: Like I'm working on a new project right now. A friend was like, what's it about? And I was trying to describe it. And I'm like, I don't have the pitch yet. The book isn't done yet. I haven't read it a million times. I haven't had a friend read it. So I don't have that sentence yet. I know that I will, but uh, I haven't spent enough time with it to have a really confident one sentence, one paragraph, um, but in terms of I think selling a book that that having that confident sentence, it goes a long way.
0: What is the pitch that you finally came up with for Love and Hot Chicken?
1: What I usually tell people, I say that it's uh, Schitt's Creek meets the South, uh, <laughs> or a modern Fried Green Tomatoes, and that it is about. A girl who goes home from her PhD program to her little town, works at a chicken shack, and is forced to participate in a beauty pageant. But none of the people who work there are very um, frou frou. And so, you know, redneck chaos ensues, <laughs> which, you know, it's that's that's part of that it. It doesn't encapsulate everything, but it gets people like, huh, mm-hmm. sounds fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of layers to the book. I mean, it's about friendship in many senses. Um, It's also about the joy of reading. And that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about because in the book, there's a series that your protagonist loves, the Raccoon King books. Where did you come up with that idea? Um, Is this, have you had your own experience as a reader with series that like you can't wait for the next book to come out?
1: Um, I think, you know, it's kind of based on the the fake series the raccoon king of lake tomorrow it's so silly mm-hmm. um, but it was sort of based on my experience as a kid I grew up right in the right time to go to the Harry Potter you know book the day the book would come out mm-hmm. um, everybody would dress up and you'd wait until midnight and you'd get your book and it was always just so exciting and people would try to read it all in one day and um you know I loved doing that as a kid. And so I kind of wanted to capture that feeling of, you know, being obsessed with the new book. And in, in Love and Hot Chicken, PJ is like a little bit too old to still be reading the books. Um, but I wanted her to be, you know, a devoted fan, even th- in her mid-20s um, to this, you know, silly series.
0: Working in a bookstore and previous in the library I can tell you age is no barrier to Harry Potter fans. We've seen everything from tweens to over 80, but um, what I loved is how you captured just how passionate you can be about books, and what are some of the other, I know you have some information on your website, but what are some of the books that have been touchstones for you as a reader?
1: Um, let's see. Um, I really loved Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Um, I read that when I was living in New Orleans, and it was perfect, because it was You know, it's kind of set in Louisiana. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I loved the Harry Potter books. I was such a huge reader, you know, as a kid. And um, I remember really enjoying the Joan Bauer books and anything Sharon Creech and Stargirl. And um, I loved loved the Harry Potter books. I was, you know, had my little group of nerd friends and I had a friend who had read them like 28 times. Like, ah, I've only read them twice, you know. um because of when dixie i would say is a big one Mm -hmm. Um, that is especially for southern books um you know especially now i'm i'm really interested in reading southern authors and kind of getting at what who gets it right and um you know just capturing the uh i wanted i wanted in my book to capture this the spirit of the south you know as i know it and kind of have a hopeful you know it's a little bit of a fantasy um but so is Shit's creek and i like that that's instead of being like oh well that's not really realistic that's not really what it's like um you know and it wasn't exactly what it was like for me growing up in terms of acceptance um, mm-hmm. for queer people but i'm like i i want to make something nicer you know dress for the job you want
0: yeah And you actually brought up something I wanted to ask you about, because I think sometimes, especially today, it's such an issue of contention. But how important is it for every reader to see themselves reflected in books?
1: I think it's so important. Uh, I really love this comedian, Cameron Esposito. um, And they talk about, I knew being a comedian was a job, but no one ever said, you can have that job. And I feel like that about queer representation in the South in particular, you know, growing up, I knew that there were gay people. Um, They didn't really seem very much like me. Uh, Like, you know, they, I'm, you know, pretty frou-frou and eccentric or artsy. And I feel like a lot of the representation, representation I saw of queer people were, you know, super stereotypical or, you know, and had I been able to see someone who looked more like me or dressed more like me and was, you know, living their happy gay life, maybe I would have said earlier, like, oh, okay, I could be that. Look, that's that looks kind of familiar. Um, you know, I work at a school and uh, I just try to be the happy queer person that the kids can talk to. I'm not trying to push anything on them, but I'm he- I'm just being there. And I think the best thing I can do for them is just to be myself and happy. And, um, you know, I'm getting married soon. And And the kids are very into the idea of the wedding. They want to like, you know, go on Etsy with me and pick out a veil and do everything. And um, I think just, and I've, you know, showed them the invitation and all of the parents' names are on it. And I want to show them there is a world where, you are loved and supported and living your best life. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't feel like there was a great emblem of that for me. Um, and I just want to make it easier for them.
0: That's wonderful. Um, You briefly mentioned and feel free to go into as much or as little detail as you'd like about what's next for you as an author.
1: So I'm working on um, a book right now. I wanted to do something Um, coming of age. I've really wanted to do like a younger coming of age. So it's sort of like a a book smart meets because of Winn-Dixie. It's a book, that takes place in 2010. It's about teenagers and they inadvertently become in charge of saving their crumbling church. Uh, So I've had a lot of fun kind of going back to what the feel of being a teenager in 2010 was like. And what people were wearing, and kind of that um, in-between time of when you're not 16 yet, but you're in high school and you're kind of awkward and you don't know what to do. Um, so uh, yeah, it's 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 a, there's a lot of awkwardness and earnestness that I'm I'm having a lot of fun with. Um, but I don't have the pitch yet. That's the thing. I'm I'm like I'm making myself finish the book first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to, I would say it's slightly less, um, silly than Love and Hot Chicken, but, um, still with that, a very similar feel.
0: Hmm. Um, this is kind of an unrelated question, but I discovered this and thought, wow, that's interesting. Did you really live in a closet with a slanted ceiling?
1: I did, uh, when it was the semester before I started grad school and I had a concussion and there was somebody who was renting out this. It really, I mean, you could not stand up. Mm. Uh, it was $300 a month and I could fit in my double bed. Um, and, uh, oh gosh, it was a miserable living situation. But in my mind, I'm like, this is great. It's 300 bucks. Uh, and I'm like, why am I doing this? And I only lived, I lived there for about three months and then I moved out, but, uh, I know, I remember showing my, I was so worried to show my mom that I was living there, and she's like, now, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, I don't even know. I was concussed. It felt like a good idea at the time.
0: Bought her for a future book, I imagine, or something.
1: I know, there's a coming out of the closet pun there somewhere, <laughs> uh,
0: but... Um, what, um, social media are you on? If any, how can readers learn more about your books? Because you do have a lot of wonderful short pieces out there too.
1: Yes. Um, so my website is marylizahartong.com. Um, I'm on Instagram as Mary Liza Hartong and Twitter as Maryliza Um, yeah, I'm, I'm post about, you know, when I have stories and different publications and pictures of my calico, you know, important stuff. Um, Yeah, absolutely.
0: I can't believe how quickly our time has flown by. We've been very fortunate at the Poison Pen to have with us debut author Mary-Liza Hartong, whose new book is Love and Hot Chicken. It will be coming to you next month in February, but it's not too early to pre-order or reserve a copy at your local library or bookstore. I'd like to thank Mary-Liza for joining us. And for those of you listening in, thank you for tuning in to another author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore.